Okay, hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our Facebook Live for today. And this will be a quiz. Remember, we do a quiz the third week of every month. And without any further ado, let's get started. Lily posted a few of the cases, or at least a few images, so hopefully people looked at them so you know they're great cases. So we'll start with this case. Patient presents with back pain. What's the best diagnosis? What should you be thinking about? Well, the first thing you notice is the patient has large bilateral adrenal masses. And um, they're kind of lobular. They're not very vascular. Here they are on the coronal view. So in case you were wondering, perhaps you were looking at the kidneys. You're not. You're looking typically at the um, adrenal glands, right? Large bilateral adrenal masses, relatively hypovascular. So what could you be thinking about? Well, I guess that's a good question. You could be thinking about metastasis. Metastasis to the adrenal gland is common. Lung cancer, melanoma, renal cancer, almost anything can do it. But the kidneys look good, so it's not renal. And I didn't give you a history of a primary tumor, though. You never know. It could be a lung cancer that was uh, unknown at this point. So that's a thought. Bilateral hemorrhage, if the patient had been on anticoagulant therapy, these are kind of large for hemorrhage, and the patient wasn't on any therapy or anything like that. You can think about adenomas. You get bilateral adenomas. You get bilateral pheochromocytomas. Pheos are typically vascular, and adenomas are low density, and these would be pretty large adenomas to be bilateral like that. Here it is with cinematic. So there's solid mixed density masses in both adrenal glands. And one of the things, again, I went through, but one thing I left out, which is the correct answer, was primary adrenal lymphoma. We never think about primary adrenal lymphoma. Now, lymphoma can involve the adrenals. Most commonly, it's part of multi-organ involvement. You see something in the liver, the spleen, maybe the kidneys. You see big nodes. But if you see bilateral adrenal masses that are large and kind of maintain that adrenal shape, or even I've seen a case recently of a solitary adrenal mass, just a right-sided mass, or I've seen others just left-sided, very large, you always think about primary adrenal cortical carcinoma, but those are usually vascular, they're mottled, they're oval. Triangular shape, large mass, you've got to think about primary adrenal lymphoma, which was the answer in this case. Now another patient, abdominal pain and GI bleed. If you look carefully at this case, it's a little bit tricky because it's very easy. There's water as an oral agent, there's IV contrast. There's no bowel obstruction. It's very easy to miss this finding. But you can see in the, to the left of midline, anteriorly, there's an enhancing lesion in the small bowel. You see it right there on the coronal view, very nicely shown here. Okay, that's the mass. There it is. So now you have a smooth enhancing lesion in the bowel that's not obstructing. You can think of carcinoids. Carcinoid is always a good thought of an enhancing small bowel tumor. You can think of GIST, which is also a good thought. GISTs are often exophytic, but they do occur uh, with this intraluminal appearance. You can think about metastasis. Renal cell can give you vascular mess to small bowel. But then you think about other things beyond that. Lymphoma, it's kind of round, but it's possible. Benign tumors like a lyomyoma is a good thought. It doesn't look like a lipoma, obviously. But then you get past that and you say, well, if I'm quizzing you, I'm not going to quiz you on an easy case. I'm going to quiz you on a hard case. So here it is again. You see the mass. 
And so you go through a long differential diagnosis and finally you come up with schwannoma. This is the most unusual case, right? Neurogenic tumors are often low density, but they can be vascular. And here's an article, Nam Julie, who's up, up still, I think, in Mayo Clinic, and we all wrote a couple years back, a very nice review of abdominal schwannomas, which are benign nerve sheet tumors. And you could read more about this. I don't want to go through each of the details, but it can occur in the small bowel. Now, I have to admit, I've seen very few cases, like maybe a dozen of these. And invariably, you don't think about that answer because you go through the lyomyomas and the gist tumors and then and the neuroendocrine tumors. But just a very nice case, gastrointestinal schwannomas is similar to GI stromal tumors on CT. Well, that's why it's very hard to make the correct diagnosis, but it's coming out and the pathologist will make the call. Another case, GI bleed non-contrast. If you're very sharp, you notice some clips to the left of the aorta and you see bowel falling back and you're missing the kidney, okay? And then when I give contrast, you see the mass is enhancing. There's the duodenum coming across. That's at le level of a ligament of trites, duodenum or jejunum. It's an enhancing mass in a patient who's had a left nephrectomy. Remember we said that METs, particularly from clear cell, whether it's to contralateral kidney, whether it's to lung, whether it's to bone, whether it's to muscle, whether it's to liver, whether it's to adrenal, or often vascular. And here's a vascular med to the small bowel with ulceration. You can see where the site of bleeding is. You can see the, side of the size of the mass being over eight and a half centimeters. A very, very impressive example of tumor, which was a metastatic renal cell carcinoma to duodenum, just near the ligament of trites. So when you do patients with renal cell carcinoma and you're looking for follow-up studies, it, you gotta be careful. Look at everywhere, including the bowel. Also, we've seen Mets to the stomach, so you wanna look there as well. Another patient left up a quadrant pain. That's an impressive spleen. You also see diffuse changes within the bone. It's sclerotic changes, it's almost a bone in bone. It's not the appearance of, let's say, um, sickle cell disease, it's not the appearance of renal osteodystrophy, and you have a big spleen. You can see the vessels in the spleen are splayed and stretched. And then you see as you come down, the spleen comes into the pelvis, you see the coarse changes in the bone. Oops, the computer's moving on its own. But you also see the soft tissue in the presacral space. <clears throat> so now, coarse trabeculations in bone soft tissue thickening in the presacral space, massive splenomegaly, you must be dealing with extramedullary hematopoiesis. That's a classic appearance in the sacrum. And then you say bony changes, big spleen, extramedullary hematopoiesis, what can this be? And then you think about some of the hematologic disorders. You can say, well, maybe the patient has leukemia, maybe the patient has mononucleosis, Mono doesn't give you extra measure hematopoiesis like this. Leukemia is a thought, but the bony changes really don't look like leukemia. And all the bones are involved from the pelvis to the sacrum to the spine. Coarse trabeculations, extra measure hematopoiesis. I'm saying it over and over again to make you think about some of the blood dyscrasias. It's not sickle cell, sickle cell. 
typically is a small spleen that's autoinfarcted. You have concave changes in the vertebral bodies. But the one you got to think about is thalassemia. Thalassemia, common places like Italy, big spleen, bony changes, chest and abdomen, extramedullary hematopoiesis from the base of the skull through the pelvis, beautiful extramedullary hematopoiesis involving the uh, presacral space, big spleen, and bony changes. Just a wonderful, wonderful case. Now, what about this thing? Let's change directions. Chest pain. Well, you see this, what looks like a partially calcified lesion in the region of the uh, circumflex coronary artery. You can see it again on these images. You can see the patient's right coronary has extensive calcification as well. The patient has coronary artery disease. But how do you explain the circumflex? There it is on a coronal display. Well, that's the appearance, of course. Here it is nicely as we track the vessels. You see the LAD, this is the circ. Large rim-like calcification is classic for a coronary artery aneurysm. Coronary artery aneurysms can occur in any vessel, most commonly the right coronary, but just a beautiful visualization in this case. Okay, another case. Look at the right coronary now. You see aneurysmal dilatation, you see some flow. Here it is on a zoomed up view. There it is on a coronal view. So what are you dealing with? Well, this looks exactly like the last case, except you see better flow within the patient's coronary artery. And that is a coronary artery aneurysm, beautifully shown on the vessel tracking. So we often do coronaries and we look for coronary artery stenosis, but you need to look for coronary artery fistulas, you need to look for coronary artery aneurysms. Those are some things you need to look for. But also, you'll often detect coronary artery aneurysms, not in coronary artery studies specifically, but just chest CTs. Maybe you're looking for a PE, an aorta, or an incidental finding. So coronary artery aneurysms are something to think about. Now, you can get multiple coronary artery aneurysms, and if you look at this case, right coronary artery, oops, right coronary artery, and left main coronary artery, big left main coronary artery aneurysm. What gives you, and I'll show you a few more views of that, what gives you multiple coronary artery aneurysms? Now, there's no calcification here, so it's less likely atherosclerotic. The patient was younger, I think. But what gives you multiple large coronary artery aneurysms? And those are typically things like syndromes. And if you look at the patient's right coronary, I showed you one aneurysm, but there's actually multiple aneurysms in the right coronary. So now what gives you multiple coronary artery aneurysms involves multiple sites in a vessel and multiple vessels? Kawasaki's disease. Kawasaki is the classic disease for coronary artery aneurysms. It's a board case, it's an imaging case. You're not gonna see them that often. And the Kawasaki's is usually children under two, but sometimes the presentation isn't to the teenage years and sometimes even later. So just to review coronary artery aneurysm, some of the complications, thrombosis, embolism, AV fistula, spasm, rupture, hemoperitoneum, coronary artery aneurysms, common causes. I like to put, I like to put this uh, Kawasaki's on top so you think about it. Atherosclerosis. In the U.S., the number one cause of coronary artery aneurysms is atherosclerosis. Worldwide, it's Kawasaki's. 
But some of the other vasculitis, Takayashu's, which is a large vessel disease, patients who had procedures can get aneurysms, right? Trauma, Ehlers-Danlos, and Marfan's are some of the other possibilities. And again, hereditary connective tissue disorders like Marfan's and Ehlers-Danlos can give you coronary artery aneurysms. We see lots of those patients, but coronary artery aneurysms short of reimplantation of the coronary arteries is indeed rare. And I guess I should mention the thought of aneurysms that are related to infectious like pseudoaneurysms, mycotic aneurysms, and the like. Another patient, this is a little bit simpler, large anterior mediastinal mass in a patient with chest pain. This is a classic, classic, easy diagnosis. Anterior mediastinal mass, so without even looking, you say teratoma, thymoma, uh, you say lymphoma, you say teratoma, right? But now you look at the mass, now you're looking at the skin, you say, oh, soft tissue mass, it has fat and has calcification. Thymomas can calcify, though rarely, but they don't have fat. Lymphoma can calcify post-treatment, but does not have fat. Uh, thyroid can have calcification, substernal extension, way downward, but doesn't have fat. When you see fat in a mass, you see it in the pelvis, you put this lesion in the pelvis in a female, it's a teratoma. You put it in the anterior mediastinum in the a female or a male, you see it very nicely here on the sagittal views. Basically, now we're calling this a teratoma. Beautiful example in 3D of a mature teratoma of the anterior mediastinum. Okay, what about this case? This is a great case. When you look at it, you see soft tissue surrounding the arch, extending up into the left subclavian artery, it's infiltration. You say, well, am I dealing with intramural hematoma? You could think about that, but the way it's extending along the vessels, it's going too far, it's too much. Look at it on the sagittal view. It's, it's going literally around and around, usually with intramural hematomas, it's eccentric. But here it's really looking like a mediastinal mass. You're even considering a tumor. But if you look further down, you see that it's also infiltrating the abdominal aorta, and it's infiltrating around the patient's celiac and SMA. What are we dealing with here? Infiltrating process, the aorta, multiple sites. And what if I showed you the kidneys? Voila. All of a sudden, perirenal space infiltration. Yes, if this was the only finding, we were doing a tumor board or a discussion, then we could say lymphoma. We could say extramedullary hematopoiesis. We can say hemorrhage. We can say lymphomatous infiltration. We could say several things beyond that. But you give me this appearance and you give me the aorta. Infiltration, the perirenal spaces bilaterally. One of the diseases we don't think about that much is Ehlers-Danlos disease. Just a wonderful, wonderful example of, Ehl uh, not Ehlers-Danlos, Ehrenheim Chester, blah, 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 blah. I said the wrong thing. Classic Ehrenheim Chester, renal involvement, very common, that perirenal involvement, very, very classic. And then periaortic infiltration, just a wonderful, wonderful, it's a good a case as you can possibly find of Ehrenheim Chester disease, okay? Very good. What about this case? Patient with fever, mass-like process right up a lobe, nodules, both upper lungs, particularly the right, some patchy nodules as we look through the rest of the lung fields. What are we thinking about? 
patient also has extensive adenopathy, perhaps with dealing with a malignancy, right? That's a good thought. Maybe the patient has lung cancer with lots of nodes. Maybe it's lymphoma with lots of nodes and uh, mass in the lung. That's always a possibility. But what if I said this wasn't malignancy? You gotta also think about infectious inflammatory. What gives you multiple nodules, <clears throat> a large nodule mass like we see here, adenopathy, see a well here, sarcoidosis. Yes, you could think about TB, but TB nodes are often calcified. The appearance of large bulky nodes, particularly in a younger patient, you gotta think about sarcoid. But I will tell you, this is a great example of sarcoid really simulating lymphoma. And again, sarcoid gives you upper low predominance of lung nodules, lung masses, alveolar type infiltrates. Sarcoid's a great mimicker of many things, so always something to consider. Now, I guess it's lunchtime, so let me leave you with this case, and this will be the last one. Patient has chest pain following dinner. If you look carefully, there's something in the distal esophagus. It has fat density and soft tissue density. If you look at it on the sagittal view, look at all of this fat density. My friends, the patient swallowed something. What has solid and fat density? A cheap steak. This is a steak. Patients, it's a classic thing. Patient starts choking. There's a, typically it's associated with inflammation, but it's choking lower esophagus due to ingested food. Obviously any food can cause obstruction, but the classic thing is a piece of steak. Just a beautiful example. That's what I call a piece of steak with a lot of fat. Recommendation, chew your food carefully and don't get steak with so much fat. Words of wisdom. Here's just a few more images in 3D. Just a really, really nice example. And if I wanted to, I could show you that image. Same thing with motion, right? There it is, dilated esophagus. Boom, there's that steak, there's the fat. You could also see things like this with foreign bodies. And I guess what you're saying here is the steak is acting like a foreign body. Wonderful case. So with that, it's 1218. Okay, I'll give you one more. MVA, you see the first rib is fractured on the right. Now, show it again in the coronal. What I wanted to show you here is there's lots of new software that helps you. I think counting ribs is a pain in the butt on CT and missing rib fractures is also not, is a pain in the butt too, but it can be easy to do. There's new software, this is some software from Siemens which tracks the ribs, then lays the ribs out. You can scroll through this with motion. Uh, just a very, very nice example of the rib fracture on the right. So again, it's not perfect, this technique, but I think it really does help you out. So with that, we got a rib fracture, we got steak for lunch, get a good steak, we had a whole bunch of great cases. I hope you enjoyed it. And with that, I hope you have a great day. And we'll see.